Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, everyone. It's Richard and Linda, and I am in a far distant location from Linda. Can I hear you, honey? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Ah, uh, there we go. We're back together again, even if it's only by telephone. <laughs> exactly. Richard's in New York City, and I'm at home in Park City. But you only just got home, didn't you? I mean, we've got to live up to our title of Ayers on the Road. So oh, no kidding. I had a killer trip this week to Richmond, Virginia. had so much fun with a whole bunch of women at a thing called Time Out for Women. It was absolutely wonderful, except for the, plan, the train schedule. Getting up at 4.30 is not my idea of a good time. <laughs> <laughs> you had but to do I survived. it on the way out and on the way back, didn't you? Right, just and both within two days. Absolutely crazy, but um, good times. Well, Linda, remember the old days when we used to wake up every morning at four o'clock with a screaming baby? Yeah, I should have thought of that actually. Um, really, I shouldn't complain. And and actually, that would be the second or third time that we'd been up in the night. So uh, doing that just once in a while, I guess, isn't so bad. That's not so bad. And um, anyway, Linda had the wonderful opportunity to speak to, I guess, a couple of thousand women. And um, I love what I know about your speech. I know you gave it with our daughter, Shawnee, but I wasn't there to hear it. I think you ought to give me a little quick review, and maybe it'll benefit the parents who are listening. Well, I'm anxious to hear about your trip to New York, a TV show today that was really fun. Um, but if you want, I'll start, um, actually. And you were actually with a bunch of young adults this weekend, too, about 500 of them. So maybe we can cover that one, too. But, We've had um, a big week. And just so you all know what's coming up, I'm going to tell you about my TV show with Glenn Beck today. But let's hear about yours first, Linda, because we can learn from each other and we can maybe do a little teaching for parents while we're debriefing each other. <laughs> well, we had so much fun. Of course, it's wonderful to speak with Richard, but it's also so much fun to do it with a bunch of women and a daughter. Um, Shawnee Pothier and I got to speak to these women at Time Out, and it was so fun because, you know, I, I don't know, I can't figure out how they can get so many people out to these. When they do them in... Salt Lake City, they get 4,000 women out, and, and usually it's two to 3,000. We're doing Phoenix in a couple of weeks, and that's 3,000 totally sold out. I just don't know how they do it, but I think part of the Where thing Where do they is, leave their children, all these moms? Where well, do they put Saturday, all their so children? Friday night and Saturday, so they leave it with their husbands, you know, those oh, guys. Oh, wow. Helpful. Um, and mothers and mother-in-laws, and actually they come in groups. They come with mothers and daughters and daughter-in-laws and groups of friends and book clubs, and it's just unbelievable how they can get those many people out. But I think part of the reason is that women really need to get away, and they love to talk. Yeah. A lot of them stay well, over in yours? hotels and so on, have big slumber parties, and have so much fun reconnecting, whether it's with a family member or whether it's with friends that they haven't seen for a long time or friends that they were with all the time, but to have something new to talk about. Uh, all right, so I want to know, what was your message to all these moms all congregated together? Well, you know, our message this time was how to make your life at home a little more 
holy. And by that, I mean, uh, I mean, we actually, Shawnee said, close your eyes and visualize holy in your mind and see what you think. And, of course, people came up with Mother Teresa and <laughs> cathedrals and all that kind of stuff. And she said, now, um, now really envision what your morning was like just before you left. And it was a totally different deal. So we really talked to them about how to decide to, ha- to do better, whether it's a morning schedule, whether it's buckling your kids in the car, which you may hate, and change your mind about that, um, whether it's after school, and just changing a little bit to make things more calm and peaceful at your house. And then I talked about the fact that one way to be more holy, more peaceful, um, is to actually go through tribulation. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron, but um, it really is fun. I mean, in Paul, it says glory and tribulation. Now, that does sound like an oxymoron, mm-hmm. but yeah. there, I mean, you know, it's not that you want your husband to call you and say, honey, I've just been in an accident, the car is totaled, my leg is broken, and we have no insurance, and then you scream, hooray. I mean, it takes a long time to look back and see that the hard times have made you who you are and refined you as a person and helped you to become really a lot better. And we talked about tribulations make you either better or bitter, and you have to decide which one of those it's going to make you. Better or bitter. That's, I don't like that. It really better is or true, though. Better. And, you're, you know, and, you can, and, Linda, you're... You're saying that even buckling little kids in their seatbelts can be a holy experience? Yeah. Shawnee went to a retreat <laughs> with a bunch of wonderful yeah, mothers, young mothers with a lot of kids and some of them not so young. But this one little mother with seven kids and triplets said her worst thing was getting kids in those car seats. And she said, you know, she just decided to change her mind about hating that. And she said, every time I buckle them in, I just look in their little faces and say, I love you so much. And it changed wow. her whole way of doing things when she got those kids in the car. So, you know, the things you hate the most might be a way to help you be a better person. You know, I, you know like I say, I've never actually been to one of these time out for women things. And Linda goes out and does them with our daughter, Shawnee Iyer, Pothier. You left out her middle name. But uh, <laughs> but I think you guys have so much fun, and I I just applaud it from a distance because, to me, it, it's the idea of, you know, a lot of a lot of moms tell us that being home alone with the kids day after day can be a very, very lonely experience, and it's kind of like every once in a while you need your batteries recharged and you need to connect with other moms and you need to even sort of hear that they're having some bad days just like you are and you sort of go back into the battle maybe feeling a little bit reinforced and, and maybe a little bit less lonely in in the most important job in the world. You just said that perfectly. As, as we go through, we start out by introducing each other and explaining that we are anything but holy on the day-to-day and show the family a picture from last summer and assure them that every person in that picture has their own problems, whether it's a little four-year-old or whether it's somebody that's struggling with a move or whatever it is. But it is just so fun to go from from that to talking about, okay, so what is it in your life right now? What is it that you can change in yeah. your life? And I, we also bring up the fact that I wrote a book when all the kids were home called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch. And people just resonate with that title. They just they come up and talk more about that than any other single thing. Well, they talk about joy school. There's a lot of joy schoolers, but 
It is so interesting that people love that title because it makes them feel like they're not the only ones that turn into a witch. And it really is so fun to see that that's what they, that's what they love to hear. Well, and I think, I think what's happening, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just imagining this in my mind, but if you've got two or three or 4,000 moms there and they're all thinking about their own children, I mean, think of that. That probably represents maybe like 1,500, well, what am I saying? Yeah, like 1,500 children. And, and I think all those moms being there together, it's like they're sort of reinforcing each other in that the kids are the first priority and whatever else they're doing in their life, whether they work or whether they're scrapbooking or whether they have a hobby or whatever, whatever else they're doing, a church calling even, the, the family and the children are their top priority and they're sort of getting reinforced in, in they believe that, they know that, but every once in a while it's nice to have it reinforced, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are also a lot of women there who are not genetic mothers, but who do so much good with children, right. whether they're nurses or whether they're teachers or whatever it is they're doing with their lives, or whether they're not married yet, you know, and are still in that process of looking. And it really is so good to get together and commiserate, but also set some goals and feel like I can do better. I can be better. Now, Linda, if people want to um, go to a timeout for women or to see if there's one coming up in their area, is there a website or whatever that they can go to? Wow, well, just go to T O. Uh, how is that? T O F W. Timeout for women. Or you can just spill it out, um, and it'll tell you everything. What the one we're doing in Phoenix, sadly, is sold out, and that's too bad because Shawnee lives in Phoenix, and she has so many friends that we're planning to go, and it's already sold out. But there's one in Kansas City, one in St. George, and then there's one in Salt Lake that's 98% sold out. So um, if people want to join us, uh, that's the thing to do. Just go online, time out for women. So Google, maybe Google time out for women. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Timeoutforwomen.com and you'll get it. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break for just a moment, and when we come back on Ayers on the Road, we're going to talk about the other half of the Ayers, and I'm going to tell a little about my... uh, I'm in New York City, as Linda mentioned, and I had two things that were very parenting-related. One was a fireside last night with some wonderful young couples who are doing a very difficult thing, namely starting their families in Manhattan, right in the middle of New York City. And then that was last night. And then today I had the interesting experience of being on the Glenn Beck television show, and it was taped, and it will run on Wednesday, which will be what date, Linda? Wednesday 26. the um, 26th. Right. Or, yeah, that's right, Wednesday the 26th. And so... Um, so After we'll be back in just a few minutes. We'll be right back. Okay, so now Here we are. we get to hear from you. I interviewed you, now you can interview me, so I'll, I'll just give you an opening. Um, so last night I had a, kind of a really nice experience because I was with our son Talmadge who lives on the Upper East Side in Manhattan with his wife, Anita, who is a wonderful Swiss uh, woman who married Talmadge about two years ago, and they are expecting their first 
child, and they were attending along with a few other young couples, and I was sitting there with them last night thinking, what a brave bunch of folks to be raising your first children right in the middle of Manhattan, right in New York City. And, of course, it's not all a disadvantage. It's a huge advantage, the cultural opportunities they have and the uh, ability to expose their kids to the arts and really to the finest things in the world. But it's also a lot of inconvenience, a lot of them living on the fifth floor of buildings without elevators and it's not easy to, to have uh, strollers and babies in those kind of settings. But we had a lovely talk, and, you know, it just reinforced what you and I always say, Linda, that when it comes to parenting, everyone is sort of, it's sort of the great equalizer. It puts everyone on the same level. And the differences you might have in being a parent in, you know, a small town and being a parent in New York City are great, but they're not near as great as the similarities you have just because we all love our children. We all want to do what's right. So, so we all have the same goals, but we all have different obstacles in getting to those goals. And the, 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 the goal is always to teach children values and to make sure that they learn what they need to do while they're in our care. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, as we've said before on this show, we're, we're so amazed as we've traveled all over the world and thought we'd have to change our message in different countries. And it is amazing. Parents want the same thing for their kids no matter where they live. They want them to be happy and well-adjusted and self-confident and, you know, all those things. They're just universal. And that's what that was illustrated last night. I mean, you know, some couples are uh, getting ready to send their children to to schools there in the city that are very, very diverse. They'll have a lot of Jewish classmates. They'll have um, a lot of Catholic classmates, a lot of Protestant, a lot of... Uh, well, probably a lot of Africans, yeah, a, lot a lot of, of South a Americans. Lot of, yeah, a lot of Asians, a lot of Buddhist children, a lot of people that don't practice any religion. But again, what's so cool about it is those differences, great as they are, are sort of trumped by the fact that, hey, we're all parents, we all love our kids, we all want them to be happy, we all want them to practice basic universal values. So a lot of people make a big deal about all the differences in people's beliefs and so on, but I love that when it comes to kids, the similarities outweigh the differences 100 to 1. Yeah, that's so true. How many were there last night? It was just a small group. It was mainly people who live in this very same neighborhood. So, you know, five or six couples, and that, I love that. That gives you a chance to get into questions and comments. And, you know, all they wanted to talk about, well, not all, but the main thing they wanted to talk about was entitlement, even with little kids, this business of how do we get it across to them that they don't deserve everything they want and they don't... Uh, you know, the, the world doesn't know them a living. And, and by the way, that was terrific for me because it was like wonderful preparation for today because today I, I did the taping for, for the Glenn Beck show, and a lot of you know that guy reaches a lot of people. And, um, you know, believe me, I was not there to talk about politics with him. I was there to talk about what can be done about the entitlement attitudes of kids. And as, uh, if, if you watch Glenn Beck, uh, a lot of you listeners know that he 
he is really on one right now about entitlement in our society, namely how, you know, everyone thinks that the government should give them a job and everyone thinks that the answer to the economic problems is more money and more stimulus and, you know, where's my piece of the pie kind of mentality. And, of course, he's very, very, uh, I guess you could use the word vehement, He's vehemently against that and, and is saying, where's the personal responsibility? Why are we expecting the collective society to take care of all of us? Isn't that socialism? Isn't that communism? Isn't that Marxism? And I didn't want to get in a political discussion with him because he can he can handle that fine on his own. But uh, what what happened today was very fun because essentially I was saying, well, you can worry about entitlement on a lot of different levels, but maybe the most basic level is the level of our own children. And maybe the way we'll ultimately save America and save our economy is one family at a time, one child at a time. And, and conversely, if these little kids who are growing up now with such an entitlement attitude where they think the world owes them a living, they should have everything they want, everything their friends have, they should have a trophy every time. Everyone on the team should have a trophy, on and on. You know what I'm saying, that if we turn those kids loose into the economy in a few years with those kind of entitlement attitudes, it'll just get worse. And, uh, you know, I was telling them, Linda, that, that we not only get comments now that our book, The Entitlement Trap, has been out for, gosh, it's almost a month now, and that we we get comments not only from parents, but from teachers in schools who are saying, you don't even know the half of it. I mean, these kids think they deserve a grade, they deserve everything, that they should be given everything. And then we get letters from employers. They're probably the most, the most shocking where, you know, an employer is saying, so I hire kids these days. And they want to raise after a week, and they want a title, and they want a private office. I mean, they think they're entitled to everything. And and I don't even keep them. I fire them. I was talking to a guy, in fact, Glenn, so I'll give you a little sneak preview of the, the interview. He said right here on the Glenn Beck Show, we hire young interns, and there's basically two kinds that come in. One are the, the entitled kind who think, well, you know, Give me something. I deserve something. I, I deserve, you know, to be special and to be recognized and and so on. And he says, we fire those as fast as we can because they don't do us any good and we're not doing them any good. But he said, there's another kind, thank goodness, and this is where the hope for America is, and they're the ones that are hungry. They're the ones that come in and say, what can I do for you? What, how can I make my job better? How can I be a valuable employer employee to you i want to do i want to do more than what you've given me and he well, says, i'm so glad that you we... bounced that off because yeah. you know there might be some people that are waiting for the government to get them jobs but there are also a lot of people that have done 30 job interviews and can't get a job you know who are willing to work and be that exactly. second kind of employee and they just can't get one so that's interesting that he balanced that off yeah, and I mean, he, you know, he's a blunt guy, as we all know, and he's like, we just fire those entitlements as quick as we can. And he said, any employer would, because they're going to drag you down. They're going to be a drain on you instead of an asset. And what we're looking for is, is kids who will come in and, and really work and, and have, take responsibility. So, you know, obviously that led to the conversation of what in the world 
should parents, be, if they really love their kids and they're really trying to prepare them to be successful or at least to survive in the world they're going into, for heaven's sake, teach them some responsibility. And then we got into the thing of ownership. And he was intrigued by the idea that if people don't own things, they never feel fully responsible for them. And it can't be the kind of ownership where someone says, here, this is yours, I give it to you. It has to be the kind where they earn it. They, they give something up for it. They work for it. And, and you know, he made the comment that uh, that was not a problem for him growing up. He's in his mid to late 40s now, and he was talking about, you know, when I grew up, I had, I had one of two choices, either go out and mow somebody's lawn and earn a couple of bucks or just go without money. I mean, it was pretty simple for yeah. me. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of us remember that, but boy, oh boy, that is not the way it is today. In fact, he was saying up in his neighborhood in Connecticut, he he was actually trying to find someone who'd mow his lawn. He didn't want a lawn service. He didn't want some, you know, uh, a professional company. He wanted a kid to come and mow his lawn and pay him for him. He could not find a single kid who would come and mow his lawn for money because they're so entitled. He happens to live in a very entitled or did. Well, yeah. I mean, they're just too busy with tennis lessons and homework and football and all that stuff. And you know what? Our kids were like that, too. I mean, we they, they were basketball players. They left in the dark and got home in the dark. So, you know, to balance that off, there are some reasons why they don't do that. But, boy, work is just so important. We've lost the value of work. Although, you know, when you're on a team, that's a lot of work. Um, so right. it's, a, it's a different kind of work than, than well, and I used to do. And I, to, I kind of found myself, strangely, I kind of found myself standing up for parents these days. It is a little different. It's not as easy to send a kid out to get a job mowing lawns. I mean, there's safety issues. There's privacy issues. There's a lot of things. And so that led into this discussion about why not, you know, if you want your kid to learn responsibility and you, for whatever reason you can't send him out on his own to make a buck, why not set up a, a simple little family economy in your own home where there's certain things, not cleaning his own room, not doing things he should have to do anyway, but here's a job that either I've got to do it or you do. Here's the back porch or the front hallway or here's, you know, and, and set it up in a way that they keep track of their own work. And most importantly, and I think this was we spent quite a bit of time on this, was the, this payday, so that when Saturday comes, it's not allowance day, for crying out loud. Allowance is that's like a welfare line. It's payday, and how much you get is according to how much work you did. And now the kid gets this money, and he's like, this is really my money in his own mind. I earned it. It's mine, and whatever I buy with it is mine. And we're not trying to create selfish little kids, but we're trying to create kids who say... I now have some pride in what I earned and what I bought with it, and I'm going to take care of it. And that's the beginning of a mentality which becomes a responsible attitude, and that's a kid who will go out and get a job and do well at his job and not get fired. Right. And, you know, we have to be careful about this allowance thing. I know you're totally, totally against allowances, but a lot of parents do a really good job with allowance if they have paid their kids for something they've done 
and if not just hand it to them. I mean, right. it's a, it's kind of a, a matter of semantics on that. But it is so important to have the kids working for what they get, no handouts, because that's the problem. Well, and I actually do think that the term, I mean, I know you always call me on this, Linda, and I know you're right. There are parents that have very well-designed sort of performance-based allowances, but even the term is not so great. I mean, if you're going to create a real family economy, why not use real free enterprise economic terms and call it earning and call it payday and call it savings and call it budgeting and call it giving so that kids grow up sort of understanding those economic terms and knowing that those are the things they're going to do that's why they're going to college, so they can do that at a higher level. That's why they're applying themselves in school, so that they can have a job that has a, a better salary than if they did not apply themselves now. And I think we, we underestimate kids sometimes. We say, oh, well, they're just kids. They can't understand that. Sure they can. What's so hard to understand about that? It's very simple. Yeah, in fact, we really start kids at age eight. You know, by then they can add and subtract. They can keep track of their own stuff. Um, you can do it. There's a big outline in the book of exactly how to set up a family economy. Um, you can. You don't have to do it our way exactly, but it'll just give some good ideas for those of you who need it. But there's also an app called Bank of Mom, and that helps you keep track. As long as the kids are keeping track, you're not keeping track. That's another thing. You, you just put the ownership on their shoulders of figuring out how much they've made and how much they have and how to budget it and so on. Exactly. Uh, it really and makes here- a huge difference. And here's what uh, I just want to tell you again. Uh, Glenn Beck is a very conservative guy, as all of you know who have ever watched him, politically conservative and so on. But but we were beyond that here. We were. Th- this is not just something for, you know, people who are Tea Party members, and although they're wonderful in a lot of ways in terms of recognizing the need for responsibility, but it's for any parent... We always laugh and say a good definition of a conservative is a flaming liberal with a teenage daughter. We're all we're all conservative when it comes to our own kids. We want them to learn values and we want them to learn responsibility. And you know the the one place that our discussion edged a little toward politics today, and I thought it was I, I, I appreciated it actually. He's he's very concerned about the Occupy Wall Street movement and uh, going on all. Well, demonstrators and protesters all over the country. And um, the only comment I had on, I mean, he's very negative on that, obviously. He thinks they should be, you know, they shouldn't be, he doesn't think it's uh, the fault of business that they don't have a job. It's the fault of them not taking personal responsibility. But I, I, without getting into the politics or my opinion on that, I just simply added, look, there is an, it does suggest an entitlement attitude when kids protest and demand, give me money, give me jobs, instead of going out and looking for them. Right. So if you want to know more, go to EntitlementTrap.com, and you can find and out watch, about that. What time is the show on Watch Wednesday? Glenn Beck on the 26th at 5 o'clock Mountain Time. I mean Eastern Time, 3 o'clock Mountain Time. And we'll see you all next week on Ayers on the Road. <laughs>